Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Well, hello and welcome to Mark Kenny's Democracy Sausage. Beautifully named, the podcast is going to be looking at uh, all of the issues, I think, about this federal election as we uh, race towards May 18, 2019. Um, Joining me here in the small ANU studio uh, is really a stellar cast for our first podcast here on this subject. Bob McMullen is a former Labor Minister in the federal government. He's also a former National Secretary of the Labor Party and therefore a former Uh, campaign director uh, at the national level, so he brings great hands-on experience as well as knowledge of government. Also joined by Dr. Andrew Hughes. He's an expert in political marketing, among other things, so he's going to have many thoughts uh, about the way the campaigns are unfolding over over the weeks and uh, also how, how ads are working, what the parties are doing with their messaging. And my colleague from the Australian Studies Institute, Professorial fellow, indeed, there, Dr. Shirley Leach, should say Professor Shirley Leach. Um, so I think we've got a very expert panel here to discuss this election. Of course, I'm Mark Kenny, and I'm at the Australian Studies Institute at ANU as well. So let's kick off the discussion about uh, this election campaign. Might go to you first, Bob. What What do you think about? We're about a week into the campaign. What do you think are uh, are the issues that are happening at the moment? What's working and what isn't? And what do you think the main messages are from the two sides? Well, there's a lot of questions there. Let me start by saying I don't think anything's happened since the election was announced that's changed a single vote. A couple of things happened beforehand: the budget and the reply. I think they were the scene setters. And nothing's changed since the election was announced. Uh, people have just said the same things a bit more loudly. Um, so uh, the key messages, I think, the for the Conservatives, it essentially is that they're, in my view, their mistake is that they're trying to fight the last election. They're trying to do what they all think they should have done last time. Uh, and the opposition has changed their tactic. And uh, I think, therefore, maybe that strategy won't work. I'm not sure. And... For the the Labor Party, I think what they've tried to do is find a different way of making health the issue. Last year, last time they did it through that uh, Medicare campaign. Yeah, what was known as the Medi-Scare. Uh, yes, I understand the, what they called coalition. it. Uh, but uh, this time it's about cancer. But really at their core, they're both saying the biggest issue in this election is health because everybody – Every poll that's ever been taken says people think the Labor Party is better on health and on Medicare. So if the more you talk about that, the better it is for the Labor Party. Yes, and obviously the government's uh, trying to make it about its strength, which is about economic management. That's right, and, about uh, economic management and tax. And uh, I think the budgets gave them – I mean, I don't think it was a great vote-shifting budget, but it gave them a platform on which to talk about that. Uh, and I think they've been doing it. Uh, my few is they've not used Frydenberg enough. They use, I don't think Scott Morrison is quite as uh, 
credible on economic issues, not because he was a bad treasurer or anything. I just think he's a bit more strident. I think they need, if they want to talk about economic management and the status quo and maintain, then you need some people talking a bit more calmly and reasonably. Uh, and I think Frydenberg is good at that and I don't think they're using him enough. One of the things that's really delineated the, the two parties has been the issue of women and women's uh, representation in the Liberal Party. Obviously, the um, the main figures that we see in the uh, being coming forward for the government are the people you just mentioned, Scott Morrison, um, Josh Frydenberg, the, the Treasurer, uh, Michael McCormack, the Nationals leader to an extent. Uh, and yet when we see Bill Shorten out and about, he's uh, often flanked by a number of very prominent Labor women. Shirley, what do you think about the imagery of that? Is it uh, um, effective? Does it reinforce the, 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 the perceptions out there in the electorate? Well, first of all, let me say that I totally agree with Bob that I don't think anything has changed since the election was announced and during this short campaign to date. I think there's a general perception out there that the Libs are um, behind the times when it comes to the involvement of women in politics and they are floundering with women voters and I don't think Labor's done anything particularly special when it comes to women. It just happens to have a team which comprises a large number of very high-profile, um, high-performing female members, and the Libs simply cannot deliver the same thing. Yeah, what do you think about that, Andrew? Yeah, it's a good point to make, and and, and look at the way the messaging has been carried forward initially too. Um, it's been a, a lot of emphasis on personality very early on, um, and maybe it's a sign of things that come with a, a very negative campaign. Um, I think this will be the most negative campaign we've seen for a long, long time, to be honest. Uh, and look, a lot of the fight will be carried on social media as well, and and that's the fear factor of social media is that you can actually get a lot of traction very quickly on social media, but also the people who are on social media um, <clears throat> are the sort of people who probably Labor got to play their strengths to a lot more. It's something where the coalition have been a little bit weak on. And looking at their social media start off already, a lot of heavy emphasis on Scott Morrison, but Scott Morrison alone. And so it's like saying the rest of our team, let's not talk about them because, hey, they're going to bring up bad memories and people, or we've got no one else really to go to. Whereas Labor have got other go-to people. They're not as strong as, you know, perhaps Labor leaders in the past, for sure. So um, what you're saying there is Bill Shorten himself isn't particularly popular or no, inspiring? No, they know that. And they know that he's not coming across as particularly popular with people. He's not been preferred prime minister now for many, many polls. I, I forget how many he's lost. I think it's over 50 as preferred prime minister, um, either against Malcolm Turnbull or Scott Morrison. That's that's partly because he's been opposition leader, of course. I mean, uh, the yeah. prime minister generally leads, uh, and it's not always the case, but it's pretty much always the case that the prime minister is preferred because the prime minister is the prime minister. Voters don't have to imagine that person in the job. They can see that person in the job. The opposition leader has to be kind of envisaged in that role. And uh, I think voters tend not to do that as readily. So yeah. it's not that surprising, but you're right. Uh, um, nothing about uh, the polls that we see for Bill Shorten personally suggests that he's a charismatic figure in the mould of some mm. previous leaders. I mean, if you think of the most charismatic ones like Bob Hawke, um, Bill Shorten's just not in that league. So are you suggesting that, in a sense, Labor is um, is kind of building its campaign to be more of a, uh, a team effort, less presidential because of that fact? Yeah, for sure. But also, look, the focus will be on their policies. That's where Labor know their strengths are over the coalition right now. The coalition's 
you know, um, policies are very weak with a lot of people outside economics. So Labor can target that aspirational, socially progressive market, which was Malcolm Turnbull's in a way. He, he was really good at capturing that away from Labor and getting, you know, the coalition into power on that sort of messaging of, hey, I'm Malcolm, I'm in the middle, I'm targeting people. I'm, I'm gonna... about innovation and yeah, technology and that's all that right. sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and that message has been washed away now. It's lost. And Labor's picked it up really well. And now they're talking about things about innovation in health, about research, about education. They're talking, you know, they're the sort of aspirational policies Labor do so well. But in this context right now, with a leader like Scott Morrison and that whole backplay of what happened last year, it's hitting home even harder. And Labor know that. So why run hard on a on a leader if you don't have to? The policy is going to do the work for you. Um, it's been a real contrast in looking at the two leaders to start off the campaign, right? Scott Morrison, as I said, very much sleeves rolled up images, very much, hey, I'm getting on with the job sort of thing. So he's reinforcing that narrative, don't change horses midstream. Whereas Bill Shorten, it's about minimising the risk, suit and tie, nearly every single time he's out in public. Why? Because he's trying to say to people, you don't risk a lot if you vote for me as your future prime minister. But also, here's our policies. So you look at his social media pages, um, Scott Morrison's Instagram page, for example, starts off with husband of Jenny, father of his two daughters, and then prime minister of Australia. Scott, uh, sorry, Bill Shorten has got leader of the opposition authorised by ALP. It was very formal. And mm. at the same time, that screams to me, let's lower the risk in people. I'm ready to govern. I'm ready to become your next prime minister. I, I have looked at all these different factors. You risk not too much if you switch across to me. And so I think this is part of the point um, I think you talked about really well across the weekend on Insiders is that how maybe it's it's targeting that next range of coalition voters. Yeah, they're probably in that that category of seat where maybe four to six percent, right? And I'm I'm thinking that those people is who Labor are going after now. They, they can sniff not just taking those super marginals of zero to four, but maybe the next band out of four to six by getting those disaffected coalition voters by bringing up the good old memories of hey, Scott Morrison, but who else? Look at Scott Morrison. He's like that link that last decade of turmoil and change leaders. If we get rid of him, we start afresh as a nation. Indigenous yeah. treaties. Um, we can do a lot of different things we haven't done before. Cure cancer. Whoa. <laughs> Don't do it in a budget when you can cure cancer. Yeah. Well, I thought that was really interesting. What did you think about that, Shirley? I mean, it, 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 we had both the budget and then the budget reply, and they were both, uh, I suppose, relatively, you know, economically benign um, uh, presentations and politically low risk. But it seemed to me that Labor was looking to create a vision in voters' minds, trying to speak to voters' hearts, whereas the coalition was speaking more to their heads and was sort of relying. It was, so it was almost like vision versus accounting. And perhaps uh, in a contest of those two things, uh, Labor would have to be in front. Yeah, well, again, I think you have to look to, I mean, the the last budget was very much an old-fashioned, we're heading into the election, you know, here's the goodies, folks, here's the tax cuts, this is what we're going to give to you if you vote for us next time. Whereas, uh, whereas Labor went straight into, we're the team, we're ready to govern, here's the policies, we're going to cure cancer, we're going to fix the health system, we're going to do education. 
Um, so the, the the interesting thing about this election, I think, is that you couldn't have a stronger contrast between mm. the two mm. major parties in terms of the approach and style. Bob, do you think there's any risks for Labor in in almost being too good in that respect? I mean, if you sure. l- listen to the way Shirley described it, you know, curing cancer and and uh, you know putting more money into health, more money into education, more money into training, also giving you tax cuts and giving you a bigger surplus. Is there a danger that that, that plays into a narrative that Labor is you know, has a record of blowing budget surpluses and sending the budget into into the red, and that it's proposing to do so again. It's just you know pulling too many popular levers at once. Well, it's been a risky strategy from well, not exactly day one, but for several years uh, with the tax measures that they put out uh, over the years. You're talking about things like negative. Yeah, well, gearing. that's right. The negative gearing, capital gains tax changes, and the. Uh, Franklin credit rebates, yeah. those two big changes that they obviously, I mean, I haven't got any inside information, but it looks pretty obvious from the outside. They made a conscious decision to say, we'll put that out there early, we'll get all the reaction, and then we'll come to the election and spend the money. And that's essentially what they're doing. Uh, but it, it, it is a high-risk strategy. I mean, essentially, when you're running against an unpopular government, there's two ways to do it. There's the stand under the tree with your hand cut, wait for the apple to fall, or you can shake the tree. They've actually been shaking the tree, even though quite possibly if they just sat there with their hands cut, the apple would have fallen. But uh, I actually welcome, I think it's good for democracy that people are actually out there shaking the tree. But uh, it is a risky strategy, I agree. You're listening to Mark Kenny's Democracy Sausage coming to you out of the Australian National University. And if you want to uh, get to us via Twitter, the uh, handle is APPS or Apps Policy Forum. The Facebook group is Policy Forum Pod. And the email is podcast at policyforum.net. So let's go now uh, to the question of how the campaigns are actually being structured. I mean, not just the sort of obvious stuff, but the things that are happening behind the scenes, advertising, how they're targeting their constituents and so forth. What can we tell from um, from this? I might go to you first, Bob, on this, just in terms of the contrast between the campaigns that you used to run in the kind of pre-internet age mm-hmm. and uh, what, what sort of thing might be happening now. Well, I'm incredibly jealous of the current campaign director who gets this chance to do the narrow casting that they can do because we used to think we were pretty clever at narrow casting in the past, but it was really totally different and nowhere near as targeted. And I think what it says, I I don't see all the messages, of course, but it seems to me it's clearly saying in Victoria at least – even, they're trying to appeal to the people who voted Labor in the state election uh, and led to seats like Hawthorne falling to the Labor Party uh, to reinforce that message that these are the people who dump Malcolm Turnbull, these are the people who don't believe in climate change, whatever, whatever. Uh, these are the people who said there's African crime gangs going to come and stop you going to the restaurant. You know? yeah. so, Sounds like you're quoting Peter Dutton a lot there. <laughs> yes. Uh, and... Yes, He's they, very much the kind of uh, poster boy for all those sort of arguments. Absolutely, he? Yeah. he is. And the fact that the people who signed his uh, – there was a very interesting article in one of the papers today saying that the people the, – the petition that Malcolm Turnbull forced people to sign, which was to some extent his political death warrant, might be that of those who signed it as well. And I think there's some truth to that, uh, that it's a very potent image in some parts. I, I don't mean everywhere – 
Uh, and clearly, I don't think it's a given that Peter Dutton's going to lose his seat, for example. I think he's got a, a following locally and he works very hard locally, um, even if he had a bit of a misfire at the start uh, about the campaign, which I'm sure didn't – the Liberals must have been furious about. Um, not only him being the target, but him – the issue on which he did it. But uh, – so I think that's what that message says. The, the, the Liberals, I think, are trying to get back to the sort of Howard Battler, western suburbs of Sydney uh, with the stuff about deficits and – uh, really recalling the Howard Costello era. They're trying to get back those people. It, may, it might work. I can't say it won't. I, I don't know. But uh, it, at the moment, that seems to be their aspiration. What's happening in Queensland, particularly in North Queensland, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have any information about that. But a, across the southeast uh, and in the west, I think that's essentially the strategic contest. I'll come to you about some of the marketing, uh, some of those marketing issues in a moment, uh, Andrew Hughes. But Shirley Leach, just on the, uh, the one of the points that Bob raised there about the, the the feelings voters have about the the dispatch of Malcolm Turnbull and what happened. Do you think Scott Morrison? I mean, there's a sense I hear from people on the on the on the conservative side that they believe that the public disquiet, the umbrage over Turnbull's removal has dissipated, has has waned over time. Do you think that um, was always in Scott Morrison's mind? That's why he's built as much time as he could between when he became Prime Minister and when he's now had to go to the election because he's really left it to the last minute, hasn't he? Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, you know, when Labor lost government, a big factor in that was the fact that people thought that they were dysfunctional, that they kept chopping and changing their leaders. And now I think that this government has has suffered the same criticism. Uh, that is why, obviously, the Prime Minister's invested so much in touring the, the country on his bus, uh, talking to voters. Or flying and... along next to it or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, he, he's obviously trying to create credibility as leader, but... I, I don't get the sense that voters are welcoming uh, the kind of brutality of, of their campaign at the moment. I was watching Q&A last night and one of the things that struck me was the very first question from the audience was asking whether or not the uh, panellists would promise to be basically civil to one another during the discussion. And I think that that question is pretty much a reflection of the electorate who've, who are just sick and tired of um, you know playing play the ma play the man not the ball mm. um, uh, insult uh, invective and so forth and in fact if you look at social media now you look at your Twitter feed all of a sudden there's a whole lot of new Twitter handles that have suddenly popped up in your feed and each one of them is saying something vicious about um, a particular politician about their elect um, about their electioneering activities and so forth, posting embarrassing photographs. I saw the one and in, in just before I came over of Bill Shorten, um, someone alleging that he had larger breasts than his wife, um, which is why he was um, uh, promoting funding for breast cancer. I mean, this kind of thing just oh, sickens yeah. the public. Um, and the perils of, of self-publishing. It turns out that there are, there's no shortage of idiots, as I think Groucho Marx once said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
What, what do you think, Andrew, in terms of the uh, – going back to the Bob's point, Bob McMullen's point about uh, the, the narrow casting and the opportunities that the digital age presents political campaigners, what, what, what sort of things do you think we can see in this campaign? Um, Bob's right about the narrow casting. It's an amazing tool to have. Facebook created these two things. One's called custom audiences. One's called lookalike audiences. Those two things were a gift to political campaigners. Um, and in fact, uh, the people – Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Will behind Donald Trump's campaign in 2016, identified those two things as being the number one thing they use to get to power. Um, but even before that, you look at how you, then you can really hit a very targeted market without anyone else realizing you're doing that. That's going to change the campaign slightly. Be, I wouldn't say in a big way though. Um, what it it do- doesn't. Can I interrupt you there? It <clears> doesn't. <throat> just target to that group, but it sort of targets them, as you say, a bit silently. Yes. Like the people who might be on the other end of that, the people about whom uh, things are being said, uh, misrepresentations are being made, may not even be aware that those things are being said in targeted emails Correct. or ads or whatever it might be. And that's that's done for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, I can get more engagement out of it. It seems more personalized, more engaged. It's as though I'm listening to you. Um, but the second point to touch on what Shirley just said before about the negativity about campaigns and where it, it's at, you don't see me being so negative. It's really hard to pick up that I'm being very, very negative when I can be very, very negative. So we call this dark advertising or dark messaging. So that's like a two-track campaign. The, the leaders are saying one thing and yep. maintaining some pretense of civility. Uh, meanwhile, there's there's uh, sort of sub-campaigns going on that are much more, uh, let's, let's call them vicious or... Um, yeah, I mean, look, social media's been around for a while, but this is the first election where people are already talking about astroturfing as a term in 2019 is remarkable because astroturfing is that um, basically what it means is creating a fake grassroots movement out of social media. We didn't have that in 2016, but we probably will in 2019. And I can do it in is seconds. This Captain Get Up uh, guy uh, that, that, yes. that, that's come up uh, supposedly he'd like to to mess with Zali Stegall's <clears throat> campaign in Moringa. This is a, an example of that. Yeah, exactly. But also, uh, what it points to is that Get Up, who've now got $12.5 million in a war chest waiting to run during the campaign, are going to unleash that against those arch conservatives who toppled uh, Malcolm Tur- Turnbull. So, Tony Abbott. Uh, Josh Frydenberg, um, Peter Dutton, all up and down, you know, the coast, you might say. There's these targeted campaigns being run. We won't see them, though. They'll be in the dark because it's going to be narrow-casted, micro-market. It's very smart campaigning in a way because it means that, yeah, you can't see someone being very negative. Um, I'm not saying we get to the stage of WhatsApp, what, what we've seen recently in Indonesia and India, where WhatsApp plays a critical role in campaigning, but it, we might yet hear I mean, WhatsApp is very good at motivating volunteers or getting people who are want to be, move from that sort of, you know, I don't want to join the party, but I want to do something about this, putting them from being fringe to being active. It, things like that we'll probably see a lot more of this election. Um, and, and looking at too how the parties are already going hard negative, not even, what, day four or five of the campaign, we saw the first real hard negative ads come out. 
Um, and, the, and and we should be clear, it's negative on both sides, correct. isn't it? I mean, Labor needs to keep the, th- the things we've been talking about, the removal yeah. of Malcolm Turnbull and the instability over recent years, needs to keep all of that fresh in voters' minds because it probably accounts for a good chunk of their consistent lead in the polls. Yep. Yep. And I think the fear within coalition ranks too is that they're going to lose Tony's tradies. I mean, they're a pretty big part of the coalition message for the last few years. And that's been acknowledged it's a through fear the fear bordering on panic, one imagines. Because yeah. if, if we go by the reaction to the electric cars thing and, you know, Michaelia Cash came out talking about, you know, Labor's coming after your ute. Um, this was presumably talking directly to as what you, that group you called Tony's tradies. Yeah. And they're going to drift across the Labor. Oh, they probably already have, in fact. And this is the challenge now for the coalition. They have to budge that two-party preferred gap of 4 to 6%, and they have to do it very quickly, and they're losing time. And they, their message isn't strong enough at the moment to carry that momentum forward where they can actually get those people back into the coalition ranks again because they've drifted away. They've felt disenfranchised, lost. And so all Labor did has to do, is, as Bob said so well, they can do a bit of both, shake the tree, but also wait for the fruit to fall. And they're going to look at what markets they need to shake the tree on, so to speak, and then what areas they just have to wait for it to fall. And I think the tradie one is is a really interesting segment because, again, uh, we saw that ad being run on dark social um, about the Utes uh, with the message from McCallia Cash mm-hmm. run very quickly, very narrow cast, but it didn't have the same hit as it did three years ago with the campaign or even three years before that with Tony Abbott in 2013. So that messaging won't be there this time for the coalition. It's not. It's one of their go-to play strategies, you might say, but not anymore. It's gone. What about the messaging about tax? Does anyone have a view about uh, the messaging about tax, Bob McMullen? Uh, and you know, obviously, the the government's going very, very hard on this, saying that it can deliver tax cuts as well as balance the budget. But it's talking some big numbers and it's talking some big time periods. I mean, some of these tax cuts don't come in until not just after this election, but after another election at which the coalition would have to be successful. Do do voters buy all this? Well, no, I don't think they do in detail. uh, The idea that in 2022, something really good is going to happen and in 2024, something even better. (laughs) But But I think what the government's trying to do is convey a general image about that they're going to that they're for lower tax and the Labor Party's for higher tax, and I think they have been. It, it doesn't matter that people don't pick up the detail. I think that general impression. But, but, but aren't they? Con- aren't people concerned about things like the state of the economy uh, that far out? Given, I mean, uh, John Hewson well, made the point recently that people don't take these long-term predictions very uh, seriously when, in fact, governments can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, I think was his uh, quote. John's quite correct. But I, I I don't think there's anybody at home sitting around a, the, the table ticking it off and saying, oh, in 2024, we're going to get $50. That is not going to happen. Nobody's going to do that. Uh, nobody's going to believe it. I, I don't think the government thinks for a moment anyone's going to believe it. I think what they think is we have created this impression that we're about lowering tax and they're about increasing it. It's not about the detail at all. It's just about the ambience, about the general. And I think they've probably done that successfully. But what I I think Andrew's right at the moment, they haven't done it with the potency that it requires. I mean, we used to say you could maybe narrow the gap half a percent a week. And so they've got enough time to do it. But first of all, I think they've wasted the first week. And you've now got Easter and Anzac Day coming up, so there's going to be very difficult to campaign for the second week. So I think at the moment, they're not, they haven't got the momentum they need. There's still time, but it's running out. What do you think about that, Shirley Leach? 
I think that tax isn't as potent with the electorate as the concept of inequality. And you only have to flick back to the US election and you saw that, um, you know, I mean, Bernie obviously lost out to Hillary, but he very much campaigned on inequality. And I think that resonated with voters. And if you look at what the Labour um, campaign is doing, they're highlighting things such as, you know, uh, the wages of the lowest paid in society and whether uh, a full-time job ought to deliver uh, a living wage to a worker. Uh, that's, I think that is a much more potent message, particularly to people who have uh, perhaps children entering the workforce who are finding it very difficult to find ongoing permanent work and are, and are doing what is now colloquially known as mick jobs all the time. Mm. Uh, they simply cannot afford to move out of home. And I think that's a kind of potent message for middle Australia. Uh, I think that that is going to be a much, much stronger message for people than, hey, you're going to get 50 bucks in two years' time. Andrew? Yeah, no, I agree about all that, what I've said before. I think it's interesting to note how quickly the government in that budget week changed its um, energy assistance package um, for to include Newstart people. I think that was really hitting that that note, that they realised this is a really potent issue. It, they, the inequality is there, but also it's that fear in all our, our minds. What happens tomorrow if something goes bad? What happens if I lose my job? What happens if I'm one of those people who is going to be in that situation living on Newstart? And you're starting to think to yourself, do I get looked after? No, I don't. A $50 a week tax cut means nothing to me if I'm on Newstart or I'm doing it really tough. I'd rather have frontline services given to me, which will help me get me out of my situation and get me back again going in the right direction. And that's what all the polls say as well. People who identify in all these polls, economics is about mid-rank. Top of the tree is frontline services and things like infrastructure, yes, but also government services if things go bad. And Labor's been smart about that. That talk by Bill Shorten about the cancer package, it's about the front line. It's not about the second line behind it or we'll pay for everything to do with your cancer treatment. No, it's like the initial service and consultations. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because you can't imagine really that people were standing around the water cooler or the coffee queue or whatever it is the day after the budget and talking about tax cuts in 2024. But you can easily imagine that they were standing around on Friday morning after the budget and reply talking about uh, the the cancer package, making sure that people aren't out of pocket for, uh, you know, for all these scans and other uh, uh, costs and drugs and so forth that aren't on the PBS if they're, uh, if, if, if they're affected by cancer, as indeed virtually every family is at some point. So, um, you know, again, that goes back to that thing about, uh, you know, connecting, connecting with voters, connecting with hearts as much as with heads. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of truth in that. And I wish I thought that inequality was as powerful a vote-moving issue as uh, Shirley and Andrew do. I'm not sure it is. I think it's a more important question. If, if I say, what do I think is more important? I think it's much more important. And I think it will strengthen the commitment of a lot of people already going to vote for the Labor Party. I don't know how many people it's shifting. That's not to say I don't think we should be talking about it because it's a very important issue. But uh, I'm not... And I'm open. I, I haven't decided it isn't, but I'm not convinced that inequality is going to be the issue that carries the Labor Party across the line. I, I think it's, at the moment, 
Isn't there two ways? Isn't isn't there two ways of looking at inequality, though? I mean, it depends how you brand it a bit. If you look at it like uh, the feeling that people have that their wages have been stagnant, that that they aren't, you know, the the more the government talks about a strong economy, the greater the sense of umbrage that I might feel about the fact that I'm not getting much of a dividend from that. And and so going to Andrew and Shirley's point, there's this sense that if the government is going to be more redistributive, because that is in effect what we're saying here, we're seeing here is. a, um, a government that's talking about trickle. It's, I heard someone describe this as a comp- competition between trickle down economics and trickle trickle up economics, and it's an interesting point because Shorten is being much more redistributive in his uh, in his uh, policy mix than the government is, and that does go to inequality. Well, yeah, and and yeah, of course go, appeals to my heart. Uh, but what my point really is, I, I think the idea that when he, Bill said this election is a referendum about wages. That was a very clever political one, I think. But it, it's not so much about inequality as ra- other than compared to the very, very wealthy. It, it's not about concern for the poor. It's about concern for people in the lower middle area who are out there whose wages have not gone up. So uh, that's a very powerful yeah. message. Much, uh, I think... The fact that New Start is at the level it is is a terrible thing. Yeah, so but do I. I and I think both I sides think aren't doing anything about it. Well, they, they, what's Labor saying that it's going to review New Start? Well, well, that's good. It's a start, but why? Why not commit to do something about it? The only, I don't know why they made that decision, but I can understand it in it for two reasons. One is you have to cost it, and it it would cost a lot of money, and there would be some adverse reaction from pe- from some people. But the other thing is, it's actually quite a complicated question. People, Most people on Newstart get a whole series of different benefits. Mm. But it's not that, just going to your point about there'd be an adverse reaction from a lot of people, I'm not so sure that's no, true. No, I'm not sure it's true either. There, but, there, but, there are employer groups, there are conservative econom- economists, yes. uh, there are people right across the John spectrum. Howard. John Yeah, well, that's right. But uh, I think the BCA, for example, has advocated For a long time, yes, something. they have. So... Um, you know, it, it does surprise me that neither sides had the sand to, uh, yeah. you know, just sort of, um, you know. I, I was just trying to explain here. what I think is behind the decision. I'm not saying whether I agree with it or not, uh, but but it is actually a complicated question. You say I'm going to increase New Start by fifty dollars. You suddenly say, well, what does happen? What effect does that have on your housing support payments? What effect? You suddenly find there's all sorts of offsets. Mm-hmm. And it's actually to do it well requires a range of things, not just increasing new start. You need to actually do a series of interrelated things mm, that are yeah, quite I accept complex. that, but they don't seem to have so much trouble finding a, uh, a cash payout for people, you know, the low income tax offset, for example, uh, yep. that's going to go to, you know, both sides are, are promising up to $1,080, which is going to be payable within three or four weeks of the end of the financial yes. year. So. I mean, you're right in what you're saying. I know these these um, transfer payments have a complex interplay, um, but as I say, when the political imperatives there, they seem to find a way through this maze. Correct. And it's just that no one really speaks for the un- the unemployed. Aren't uh, surely aren't really a a powerful constituency, are they? No, they're not a powerful constituency. But I think that talking about the minimum wage, talking about New Start, talking about all of these 
particularly plays to the thinking of your youth voter, and they are a powerful political mm. force, um, particularly in a country where voting is mandatory. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't think we should underestimate the uh, effect of these kinds of messages in a more generic sense of who is this party promising to look after? What kind of people are going to benefit? Uh, and obviously we all read that differently, mm. but I think small tax cuts in the future, it's not a particularly potent message. All right, can I, I think we're close to wrapping up here, but I'd like to just cover one more topic, which I think goes to, uh, you know, obviously it has merit as an issue in itself, but also goes to this uh, question, question of uh, future v past, the different flavours of the manifestos that are being put forward, and that is climate change. Um, Obviously, a much bigger preoccupation for younger people, Andrew Hughes. Yeah, look, I think climate change is going to be one of those sleeper issues during the um, campaign. It's been talked about a lot, but it's now getting that momentum behind it. Um, and, and Made for social media too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's really good for engagement at that more um, grassroots level. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion that the Greens will capitalise on this. I wouldn't say just the Greens, though. That's the thing. It can be anyone who's going to be strong on climate change as an issue itself, getting that engagement through platforms like social media. But it won't be just social media. I think the good old um, event, you know, rally has not seen its days yet. It's it's a great way of getting young people involved. And we saw that with the climate strike, mm. with, with how many young people turned out for that, said that, you know, the good old um, political rally where you have the banners and the signs up, it's such a good you know, signify to people that this is a really popular grassroots campaign with a lot of um, people behind it. And it speaks across all markets and all segments. Um, it's something and people... And it does speak across party lines too. I mean, yeah. uh, the, Zali yep. Stegall, for example, is campaigning very strongly on this in Tony Abbott's seat of Warringah. Uh, she's very strongly identified with, uh, you know, much more dramatic action to address climate change. Any thoughts on whether that's going to play strongly on the North Shore? I don't know whether she can beat Tony Abbott, but I think it's absolute, Andrew's absolutely right. It's a very big issue and it's an important question for young people. And if I can just link that to something Shirley just said, which is absolutely important, compulsory voting in Australia mm. means that you're going to get the poor, the unemployed and the young voting. And in, in countries where it's optional, they don't and they virtually get excluded from the political debate because they don't vote. So I think... In, if we wouldn't have had Brexit if young people had voted, we wouldn't have had Donald Trump if young people had voted. And I think in Australia, it doesn't guarantee that it'll always be a progressive influence, it's sometimes conservative, but it is important that we maintain compulsory voting because it really does change the spectrum of the political discussion in very important ways. Yeah, agreed. Well, look, it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. There's going to be much to talk about over this election campaign uh, and plenty, no doubt, of uh, published opinion polls to give us some guide as to how some of these issues are percolating through the electorate, electorate whether people are even listening. It may well be. My prediction is that uh, we may get to May, the night of May 18 and find that uh, all of the noise and fury of the election campaign hasn't shifted a whole lot of votes that uh, people have made up their minds. That's certainly the the pattern of uh, public opinion over a, a long period of time now. Uh, the, the government's been trailing and um, 
changes of leadership and no matter what else it's done, uh, don't seem to have really uh, shifted things in any particular direction uh, and may well be that's the case here, but I guess uh, time will tell and there'll be plenty of attempts by by the political parties to, um, to strengthen their positions between now and then. So with that, if I can thank Bob McMullen, Shirley Leach and Andrew Hughes, uh, you're listening to Mark Kenny and Mark Kenny's Democracy Sausage, as we've decided to call this podcast. If you want to contact us on Twitter, it's Apps Policy Forum, APPS Policy Forum. The Facebook group is Policy Forum Pod, and the email is podcast at policyforum.net. Uh, and join us again next time for Mark Kenny's Democracy Sausage. <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.